Thank you, choir. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank You for the hope that we have in Christ. Father, we thank You for the hope of eternal life with You. Life beyond the grave. Father, we, we praise You for that. Father, it costs You dearly. Father, it cost Your Son His life. Father, we thank You for that hope of everlasting life. Father, we thank You also for the hope for today and tomorrow. For every moment of every day that You give us to live here on this earth. The hope that we have uh, that You are in us and working in us to produce holiness and godliness in our lives. To make in us, Father, who You want us to be who you've called us to be. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, you don't just tell us what to do and then walk away. Father, you have done something to give us the ability to do what you've called us to do. Father, you have rescued us from the power of sin. You have placed your Holy Spirit inside of us. And so, Father, we are without excuse as believers. Father, when it comes to how we live our lives, Father, you have called us to holiness. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, Father, that's not a burden. It's a joy. Father, that we can live for Your glory, for Your honor, for Your praise. We can live in a way that pleases You. Live in obedience to Your commands, Father. Because of the rescue that You have worked inside of us. Because of the power of Your Spirit that dwells within us. And so, Father, um, as we come to this time and in this service, Father, where we open up Your Word, where we read it, where we seek to understand um, what you are saying and teaching to us through your word, by your spirit working in us. Father, we ask that you would help us. Uh, Father, guide our thoughts about your word. Father, please keep us from thinking anything that is untrue about you, about your word. Uh, Father, guide us into truth. Uh, Father, and then help us to live out the truth in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Galatians. Just three verses that we want to look at this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And we want to look at um, uh, kind of a, a new theme um, in this book of Galatians. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. But as you're turning there, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, um, I want you to imagine for a moment um, that uh, I had, um, um, let's just imagine, you've got you to gotta use a lot of imagination. You ready? It's going to take a lot of imagination for this. Let's say, let's say I was um, uh, a NASA engineer, okay? A lot of imagination, okay? I'm, I'm as far from a NASA engineer as you could possibly get as far as the, the ability to think that way and the smarts and intelligence required for that. But let's just say that I was, um, and, but I, I'm not the best, okay? But I've come up with a really awesome design. And I thought, you know what? If we want to do more stuff in space, we need more, more room to do it. And so, man, these spaceships that we're sending up there, these spaceships, and they're just too small. And so I have worked and worked and worked, and I have this new design and, uh, of a spaceship, and it is as big as the Empire State Building. I mean, this is the Mac Daddy of all spacecraft. And I think, you know what, we could, 
the more astronauts we get into space, the more we could explore while we're there. The more equipment we can get up there, the more we could do. And so I've got this, this grand design for this massive, massive, massive spacecraft. And I take it into, into NASA and I say, hey, look at this great design. And they say, wow, that's pretty impressive. I mean, you have covered all the bases. You've got uh, all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. Just one problem. How in the world do you expect us to get that thing up into space? Where in the world is the power going to come from to get this monstrosity of a machine up into outer space? Where is that power going to come from? And I wonder sometimes when we consider the lives that God has called us to live, lives of holiness, lives of obedience to him, Sometimes we look at Scripture and we look at some of the rules and the laws and the things that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do as Christians, and we say, wow, man, that kind of lifestyle does sound like a great idea. Where in the world am I going to get the ability to do that? That just sounds impossible to live the life that God has called me to live. The temptations to not live for Him are so strong. Just as gravity pushing down on that huge, huge spacecraft is so strong, where's the power going to come to to do this? In our passage today, Paul's going to help us understand something very important about the lives that God has called us to live. Where this power to live for God comes from. Now, as we look, as we've been studying through this book of Galatians, we've seen that the, the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith has been attacked in these churches in Galatia. And they're being told that they have to earn their way to God. So Paul has said, no, good works is not the means of salvation. You're not saved because you are good enough. So what we might be tempted to do then is say, okay, living for God seeking to honor Him with my life, trying to be obedient to His commands. That's not the way that I get to God, so I can just throw those things out the window. But that's not true. While God's commands, the ways that He's called us to live, is not the way that we have salvation. It is how we live once we have salvation. The order is so important. I don't go to the Ten Commandments And say, all right, if I do these ten things, then I get to go to heaven. That's salvation by the law. And Paul has clearly told us here in in this letter, and we see all throughout Scripture, that no one can be saved by trying to obey the law because we're imperfect. We can't do it perfectly. But then once God does save us, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus and we receive a free gift of salvation... Once he does save us, he then calls us, commands us to live in obedience to him for the rest of our lives. Not to earn our way to heaven. He's already provided that through his son, Jesus, and his death on the cross. But he transforms us and calls us to a new way of living. So this right doctrine, salvation by grace through faith, then leads to right living. As Paul is simply in this passage, and even in the, in the passages to come in Galatians, he's simply unpacking something he's already mentioned. Before we read verses uh, 16 through 18, 
of chapter 5, you can hold your finger there and flip back to chapter 2. Flip back to chapter 2. Paul said in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, For through the law I died to the law. Notice the reason. So that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice what Paul has said. He said, I believe the right thing about Jesus. I believe the right thing about salvation. And what that's led to is me living to God. Christ living in me, living by faith in the Son of God. How you live your life matters. It does matter as believers in Christ. We are to live for the glory and honor of God in every area of our life. Even in chapter 6, verse 15, Paul's going to talk about a new creation. That God makes us new. It's not the only place that he talks about that in his letters. But we are a new creation. We are to live our lives for God's glory and honor and praise. But how? Paul doesn't give ten steps to help yourself sin less or five ways to think positively so you'll sin less. He doesn't tell the Galatians that the power to make right choices in their lives and overcome the temptation that they're going to face. He's not going to tell them that that power lies deep within them, just within themselves, and all they got to do is is become one with their inner self or do a little meditation, um, the wrong form of meditation according to God's Word, and and just kind of get better connected with their inner self. And if they do that, they'll be able to think positively and they'll be have the, able to have the right outlook and then that'll just lead to them making the right choices each day. No, 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 that's not what he tells them. He tells them the power to do what God has called them to do comes from God. It is His Spirit living in them, living in us, that gives us the power to live the way He has called us to live. All they have to do, and I would argue for us today, all we have to do as believers is submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit who already lives in us. God has given us the power. To live for him. Let's read verses 16 through 18. Follow along in your copy of God's word. This is God's word. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You are not under the law. Here's our main point for these three verses today. Here's our main point. Walking by the Spirit is the only way to overcome our sinful flesh. Walking by the Spirit is the only way to overcome our sinful flesh. Now, in this passage, we see several important words. We see the word spirit. We see the word flesh. And we see that there's a battle between the two. We're going to talk about that battle. But... We need to understand that there's only one way for us to live the way that God has called us to live. And if we try to live the way that God has called us to live, any other way is going to lead to failure. That ship is never going to leave ground. 
And we can try and try and try. We'll become frustrated. But if we can understand the power that God has given us in his spirit, then it will actually free us up, free us up to joyfully live for God's glory. So when we see God's commands, we don't go, oh, great. Something else for me to do. We go, oh, yes, something else for me to do to give God the honor and glory of my life. And I know it's going to be hard, but I know he's already given me the power and the ability to do it. I want to show you three truths about walking by the Spirit that we find in this passage. Truth number one is this. Walking by the Spirit always brings victory. Walking by the Spirit always brings victory. Now, we have this phrase, walk by the Spirit. I want us to unpack it for just a moment. I want us to unpack this for just a moment. He's just said, back in the previous verses, that we are to love one another by serving one another. For through love, serve one another. He calls us to that. He calls us to obey God's command to love one another. Command that God had given all the way back in the Old Testament. But then he says that the Galatians have a problem. There in verse 15, they're actually, instead of loving one another, they're biting and devouring one another. They're doing the opposite of what they should be doing. And so if we cut it off right there at verse 15, we might say, how in the world are we able to do what God has called us to do? Galatians may say, oh, that's so difficult. Do you know, do you know, do you know what this person did to me? Do you know, what, you know what she did to me? You know what he's done to me? It's hard to love him. It's hard to love. You want me to lay down my life for him? You want me to lay down my life? That's hard. How am I going to be able to do that? So Paul says in verse, verse 16, but I say, but I say, walk by the spirit. Now, this spirit is the promised spirit. Chapter three, verse 14, we find these words. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promised spirit through faith. Where was this spirit promised? Well, back in the Old Testament, we could flip to the book of Ezekiel. And I'll just read this for you. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to start in, uh, let's say, I'm going to start in verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God had promised long before he ever sent Jesus that he would put his spirit in his people so that they would live holy lives. And with the coming of Christ, God brought that spirit. And we see in chapter 3, verse 2, and chapter 3, verse 14, that we can receive this spirit through faith in Jesus. Not by some magical formula. Not by following a certain number of steps. It's by placing our faith in Jesus that we can receive this spirit, the spirit of God. So the spirit is promised. We receive the spirit through faith. And as we place our faith and trust in Jesus, something incredible happens. Chapter 4, verse 6 tells us that God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's the spirit. The spirit is God. God sends his own spirit to live and dwell in you and me when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. That is something that we should praise God for. We should praise God for that. Because if he didn't do that, we would never be able to do the things that he's called us to do. We would never be able to live the way that he's called us to live. In fact, as we'll see in verse 18, we would still be 
under the law. But we're no longer under the law because we have the spirit. Now, we also find another word in this passage. We're going to see this word uh, five times in verses 16 through 24. And we're just going to be in the first three verses of that today. But this word flesh, this word flesh. And what we see is the flesh is opposed to the spirit. What does what's God mean? Is he, Paul talking about my flesh, like right here, my skin and, and blood and that kind of stuff. He's talking about my flesh. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about anything inside of me that opposes who God is. It stands in opposition to God. So if God says, do not lie, and I am tempted to lie, that's my flesh. If God says, do not steal, and I see something I want, and I'm tempted to take it, that's my flesh. If God says, don't be greedy, and I find within my heart this desire to have more than what God has already blessed me with, that is my flesh. It's anything that's opposed to who God is. In opposition, anything that stands in opposition to God. And so our flesh, our sinful flesh, is something that's real. It's the part of us that wants to sin, to rebel against God. But the command here is to walk by the Spirit. It's a command that Paul gives us, walk by the Spirit. Paul uses four verbs in this passage and and the following passages to talk about the Spirit. He says to walk by the Spirit here in verse 16. In verse 18, we're going to see that we're to be led by the Spirit. In verse 25, we're going to see that we're to live by the Spirit. And we're going to see that we're to keep in step with the Spirit. Four different verbs Paul used to help get in our mind that our lives are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? To walk by the Spirit. One commentator said it this way, to let your conduct be directed by the Spirit. Literally, this word this word for walk was used in a very similar fashion. The word is peripatete in Greek. And it, it, it's, it really means activity that is now in progress. It's the, 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 the actual process of walking. And I don't know if you're familiar or maybe a little bit, maybe you heard his name. Um, philosopher that lived a long time ago by the name of Aristotle. He had these people, students, that would literally follow him around. And they would follow him around because they were trying to learn everything that he knew. And, and they wanted to soak in all of his teaching and, and they wanted to model their lives and their thinking after him. And so they would literally follow him around. But it wasn't just so they could just play and follow the leader, but they actually wanted to imitate him. And so one day they could they could be like him. They wanted him to be such an influence in their lives that they literally walked behind him and followed him everywhere he went. Do you know what they were called? They were called the peripatetics. It's from that same Greek word. They were the ones who walked behind. They were the walkers. They were the ones who followed him. And I would argue that Paul is telling us we ought to do the same thing except not with a human philosopher, but with the Spirit of God. That we, that we follow Him around. Wherever the Spirit goes, we go. Whatever the Spirit is saying, we listen to and we soak in all that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us so that He is the one who is controlling our lives, so that He is the greatest influencer in our lives. So that then we can make the right choice when we're faced with right versus wrong. Timothy George, another biblical scholar, put it this way. In Paul's vocabulary, to walk in the Spirit or be led by the Spirit means to go where the Spirit is going, to listen to His voice, to discern His will, to follow His guidance. 
But what about this victory? After Paul gives the command to walk by the Spirit, he gives a promise. This isn't another command. It's a promise. But I say walk by the Spirit. That's the command. Here's the promise. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm going to tell you something. As I've been studying this passage and thinking about it, that, that promise has just rung as good news in my ears. If I will walk by the Spirit, if I will look to the Spirit of God for guidance in my life, instead of the ways of this world, that there's not a chance that I might choose not to sin, to not gratify the desires of my flesh. But I will choose not to sin. Isn't isn't there so much hope and encouragement there for us as believers that live in a world where we're constantly bombarded to sin against God, that if I will walk by the Spirit, if I will allow the Spirit to be the number one influencer in my life, that I will choose the right thing when I'm faced with a choice between honoring God or sinning against God. But it's also somewhat conditional. It's only as I walk by the Spirit that that promise holds true. If I choose not to walk by the Spirit, if I choose to fill my mind with ungodliness, if I choose to surround my people that lead me in a way that is opposite of who God is and what He wants for me, then those things become the number one influencers in my life. And I'm no longer walking with the Spirit. And so then I can't hold on to that promise of not gratifying the desires of the flesh. Here's, here's, here's what that means. It's very simple. Every time I sin, every time I have a hateful thought towards someone, every time I'm discontent with what God has blessed me with, every time I am tempted to lie or cheat, Every time I am tempted to speak with harsh words instead of kind words. And I choose to go down that path. I'm not walking by the spirit. Somewhere. I have stepped away from following the spirit and I'm now following the ways of this world. But that's not the way that God has intended for me to live out the salvation that he has so graciously given me. So when I, I evaluate my life and I say, well, I find that I'm sinning in this area. Guaranteed, I have stopped walking by the Spirit. I have stopped participating with the Spirit in producing holiness in my life. But why do we need to be commanded to walk by the Spirit? Well, We need to be commanded. We need to take this command seriously because we are in a battle. Truth number two is very simple. It's found in verse 17. It's this. Walking by the Spirit is always necessary. Walking by the Spirit is what gives us victory, and we will have victory over sin in our lives if we're walking by the Spirit. But make sure you understand this. It is always necessary to walk by the Spirit. Always necessary. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
A lot of things that we could talk about in this one verse. But here's what I want you to notice. There is a battle going on every moment of every day inside of you and me. There's a battle that is raging in us as believers between the spirit that lives in us and our flesh that still holds some influence over us. Now, yes, God has justified us, redeemed us if we placed our faith in Jesus. Sin no longer has power over us. We are fully justified before God if we placed our faith and trust in Jesus. But as long as we live in these earthly bodies, the influence of sin remains and we will be tempted. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. You know, you face temptations this morning. I've faced temptations this morning. We will face numerous temptations before we lay our heads down tonight. We are surrounded by these temptations to gratify the desires of our flesh. There is this constant battle going on inside of us. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The most dangerous thing to, 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 to think when you're in a battle is that you're not in a battle. To become complacent and say, oh, there, there won't be any shots fired today. So I can take off my armor. I can just kick back. No, not in the battle of the spirit versus the flesh. It is a battle that is real and it's constant. It is real. Once one Bible commentator wrote this and I, I want to share it with you because I think it's so important for us just to remember this truth. He said it is a conflict between God's spirit and the impulse to sin, an impulse that no longer rules in the believer, but still exerts influence that must be resisted. You and I have power over sin if God has saved us from our sin, but don't think for a second that means that you're free from the temptation to sin. You and I are tempted every day. The battle is real. The battle is constant. We must not become complacent. Because the moment we become complacent, you know what we stop do? Stop doing? Walking by the Spirit. And what happens when we stop walking by the Spirit? Temptations come and we obey the desires of the flesh. We obey the temptations that Satan puts in our way. And we find ourselves not living the life that God's called us to live as Christians. Every moment of every day, you are either being controlled by the Spirit of God or you're allowing your own fleshly desires to control you. Every moment of every day, same is true for me. So often we don't think about this. We just don't. We do what, we do what feels right in a situation. Somebody says something to us that offends us. And so my first reaction is to snap back at them, to call them a name, to yell at them, to try to seek revenge against them, to go gossip about them. That's the battle. We don't see it that way, though. You know what we think about it as? Well, they just get what they deserve. 
What's what everybody else is doing? Guess who's telling you that? Your sinful flesh. Those shots are being fired in your direction. The Holy Spirit of God is fighting against that. And the Holy Spirit will give you victory over that as you follow Him. You still have to make the choice. He doesn't make that choice for you. We are called to walk by the Spirit because there's a battle going on inside of us every day. Every day we must wake up realizing that there is a war that is being fought on the turf of our heart for whether or not we will live for the glory of God or for the glory of self. So we need to, if we could do this every day, we could wake up before we ever rolled out of bed and said, I'm going to war. I'm going to war. Before my feet hit the floor, I'm going to war. And there's a battle inside of me today between the Holy Spirit and my sinful flesh. And the Spirit will have victory. He has power over my sinful flesh. But I've got to follow Him. I've got to walk with Him. I've got to be obedient to Him. I wonder how, how much sin we would avoid if we lived with that attitude. Instead of thinking, ah, it's just, just going through the motions of the day. We've got to remember that there is a battle. And therefore, we must walk by the Spirit all the time. I want to share with you the third thing. Walking by the Spirit is the path to freedom. Walking by the Spirit is the path to freedom. I mentioned at the beginning that sometimes we look at the things that God calls us to do, forgive others, as many times as they would sin against us. No limit on the forgiveness that we are to show to other people. We say, that's hard. That's hard. I'm to, I'm to have kind words to everyone all the time. I'm to build people up. doesn't mean I don't speak truth into a situation, but even as I speak truth, I'm to do it with grace. That's hard to do, especially when the other person seems like they're being obstinate and not wanting to listen, right? That's hard. So I look at, I look at these commands that God has given us, and I say, golly, it seems like a life of kind of being burdened down. But remember, remember what Paul has been arguing for all throughout this letter. He reminds of that, us of that in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He's used this phrase, under the law, several times in his letter. And we are, apart from Christ, burdened by the weight of the law. Because the law says do this, and we don't have the ability to do it. And so if I try to do what God has called me to do, relying only on my strength to do it, then that will lead to a life full of frustration. It's kind of like somebody telling you to paint a picture and then not giving you any paint to do it. Well, I would love to do it, but I can't. And that's how the law is, apart from divine intervention. Here's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't have the tools, I don't have the ability to do it. But if we are led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. 
If you have faith in Jesus, you're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Remember, this doesn't mean that the law of God is rendered out of date in our lives. I mean, chapter 5, verse 14, Paul quoted the Old Testament law and told us to do it. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling us to do the law. What's the difference? By placing our faith in Jesus, God has placed the Spirit inside of us, His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that then when we read that command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I go, wow, this neighbor, this person is really hard to love, but God has filled me with His Spirit. And so I have the ability Not because of who I am, because of what God has done in me to love this person, to serve this person. I don't have any excuse not to. The Spirit of God transforms us from the inside out. God wants His people to live holy lives according to His law, but we are now led by the Spirit to fulfill the law rather than being led by the law to fulfill the law. And the Spirit enables us to obey the law as God intended. Not simply out of duty. Not simply out of, oh man, I've got to do it or God's going to be mad at me. But out of love. We obey the law out of love for the lawgiver, God. And out of love for those to whom the law has been given. That's one another. You see, here's the battle between the the spirit and the flesh between obeying the law just out of my own ability versus being obedient to God's law with the help of the spirit. The law commanding us to love one another. We'll use that as an example because that's what Paul has said in the previous passage. The law commanded, it, but it couldn't produce it in us. The law commanded, uh, commanded it of us, but could it produce it in us? That outward pressure. And it just weighs us down. But the Spirit of God leads us to obey the commands and gives us the power to obey. What sin do you struggle with? What sin are you struggling with today, Christian? What sin is it? The sin of worry? The sin of greed? The sin of lust? The sin of gossip. The sin of not loving your neighbor as yourself. What sin is it? We get uncomfortable when we start talking about sins. Because we know that we struggle with it. We know that sometimes we're guilty of it. Can I encourage you? If you've trusted in Christ, God has placed His holy, divine Spirit in you, you have the power to say no to temptation, not because of who you are, but because of who God is in you. We are to live holy lives. But God hasn't left us without the ability to do that. What battle is raging in your heart? What is it? What is it? You know what I mean. You're faced with that choice. So I, I could do this or I, or I could do this and I, I know one's probably wrong and this is probably right, but something inside of me is pulling me to what's wrong. But then there's something inside of me as a Christian that's pulling me to what's right. Last Sunday, 
was heading out Sunday evening from church, and I had one of those moments. And I was walking out the doors and saw something that I wanted. It was this beautiful bag of corn. And it was sitting there right next to the door. And it looked awesome. I love corn. Problem was, I didn't think anybody had given it to me. But it was just sitting there. And I wanted it. I was greedy for it. I was hungry for it. I didn't have any fresh corn at home. And there was something inside of me that said, take the corn. There was something inside of me that said, it's probably not yours. And we have that struggle, right? And then what makes it even harder, that struggle, is that we have sometimes people around us that want us to do the wrong thing. And then there might be people around us that want us to do the right thing. But sometimes those people around us, they're pretty persuasive, right? So as I walked by that corn, there was somebody that said, you should take it. It's a real person, person that goes to our church, trying to get me to take this corn. And I said, but that's not my corn. And she said, well, you should still take it. And she has some good reason, right? It's going to go bad if it just sits there. I said, well, I probably shouldn't do it. But she said, you should. And so I took the corn. And I ate it. Some of it the next day. And I ate some more of it two days ago. And that corn is so good. That corn wasn't mine. Because I found out this week that it belonged to somebody else in this church. (laughs) But that corn was so good. And there's still a little bit left. That person who's sitting in here, who it belongs to, wants some. You're welcome to come over and I'll share your corn with you. Now, that's a true story. I did not make that up. But it's kind of a silly story. But I think it illustrates the point. Sometimes it's not something just silly like corn. Sometimes, sometimes it's something like, well, should I look at this on my phone or tablet or TV or should I not? Because what this is, is sexual immorality. It's not honoring to God. But it looks good. And I want to gratify the desires of my flesh. But the Spirit is warring against that. Thank God. The Spirit in me. God's Spirit is saying no. But that's wrong. And God's called you to live holy. And that's the path of destruction that God and Christ has saved you from. And so don't do it. And sometimes I'm tempted to look at the stuff that God has given me. And not be content. And then look at the stuff that someone else has. Say, God, why can't I have that? And thankfully, the Spirit inside of me fights back and says, look at what God has given you. Be content with His provision for your life. How much more could you want than my Son on the cross for you? 
God the Father would say through His Spirit. I have given you all that you need. Be content. Listen, y'all. You fill in the blank with whatever sin it is. We are in a battle. But God has given us the victory every single day through His Spirit if we will walk by His Spirit. Allowing God's Word to guide us, going to God in prayer and asking Him for help, surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ who will point us in the right direction. Those are all ways that the Spirit of God works in us. God has called you Christian. God has called me Christian to live holy lives. How are you doing? Is there a sin that you're struggling with? Listen closely. As we, can, as we close, the command is not to try harder. Don't walk out of here going, I feel convicted about this sin, and I know this isn't the way that God would want me to live my life. I need to try harder not to do this sin. I need to try harder to obey God. That's not the command. The command is not to try harder. The command is to walk by the Spirit. The command is to trust in God's Spirit to do in you what you cannot do yourself. And so, if you feel convicted, repent, confess that to God, and then say, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't say no to this temptation on my own. But you have given me your Holy Spirit to live inside of me. And so, I'm asking you, God, By your power living in me. Help me to overcome this sin. Help me to say no to this temptation. Because your spirit is powerful enough to do in me what God you want to do in me. Your spirit is powerful enough to help me do what you called me to do. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in God's ability. And then enjoy that path of freedom. Freedom to serve God. Freedom to make the right choice. And to find joy in doing so. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, You have called us as Christians to live holy lives. But we live in a world that is full of sin. And our redeemed, justified souls still dwell in a body that is ravaged by sin. And Father, one day, and we look forward to the day, when we stand before You in Your presence and are welcomed into Your kingdom, because of what Your Son did, and we no longer experience the struggle between Spirit and the flesh, where we no longer face these temptations to sin. But Father, until that day comes, we're in a battle. And so Father, our prayer is that You would help us walk by Your Spirit. Remind us of the victory that we can have 
if we will submit our lives to the leadership of Your Spirit every single day. Help us, Lord. Help us to rely on Your ability to do what You've called us to do. Thank You for giving us Your Spirit. Help us to walk by Your Spirit every single day. Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't have Your Holy Spirit in them, they're living a lifestyle of sin, they've never been set free from it. Father, I pray that they would trust in Jesus Christ today. That they would receive Your Spirit to transform their heart, to transform their lives. Father, for there's someone here today who has trusted Christ and has the Spirit of God, has Your Spirit living in them. Father, that today they're convicted of sin in their hearts and lives. Father, I pray that they wouldn't walk out of here just trying to change themselves. But Father, I pray that they would be broken before You, repent of that sin, confess it to You, and then ask You, by the power of Your Spirit, to help them. Say no to the desires of the flesh, and to say yes to the leading of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.